Hi, welcome to the 26th reflection based on the Bible in one year reading plan. I hope you're keeping well. This reflection covers days 167 to 173. And as I keep saying, you may be well ahead of this in your reading. You may not have even reached this point. You may have given up on the Bible in one year reading plan. You might not have even started. But I still pray you can be blessed by these reflections. And this section takes us through the story of Acts and moves from the story of Peter and the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And then moves through to the story of Paul, where we start to see the mission to the Gentile world, to the wider part of the world, to the uttermost parts of the earth, maybe as the King James Bible would have put it. But actually, it's the Old Testament section I want to major on today, which covers the reign of Solomon. And there are kind of two distinct sides to Solomon, which we encounter in these readings. And given Solomon's association with the book of Proverbs, we might term them Solomon the wise and Solomon the fool. I must admit, I have a degree of sympathy with Solomon in the early part of the readings. His father had been a largely successful king. He was held in very high regard. I imagine if he had a shekel for every time someone said to him, if you're half as good a king as your father, possibly with the best of intentions, they probably didn't help. And there are suggestions that Solomon wasn't even really the obvious successor. Perhaps that had been Amnon or Absalom, but David has outlived both of them. And then before David is even dead, another one of his sons, Adonijah, sets himself up as king. And a lot of people follow him as if he's the natural successor rather than Solomon. And Solomon seems to have had what we would call imposter syndrome. Not necessarily a bad thing, better that than being overly confident in your own abilities, I suppose. But it's interesting that the Lord appears to him first in a dream to ask him what he wants. And that way we get to the heart of what he really wants, what this man is like. He doesn't get the chance to think up a carefully considered, what sort of response would God really want? Ask for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he could have asked for wealth and success and power and prestige, but that's not what he asked for. He said, God, you've made me king in place of my father David. But I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm nothing but a child. There's lots of people here counting on me. And I feel like I'm a depth here. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And God is pleased with his request. He has promised a wise and discerning heart and told that all the rest would follow from that. He's requested a solid foundation on which to establish his rule. And he becomes famous for that wisdom far and wide. We live in an age where lots of people seek power for its own end, or fame for its own end, or money for its own end but they don't necessarily have the wisdom to go with it. I pray that we are people who seek the right foundation, who seek the wisdom 
so that whatever comes our way, we are able to handle it. But if you look carefully at what Solomon requests, there is something else going on there. He doesn't specifically ask for wisdom as such. He asks for the ability to distinguish between good and evil, between right and wrong. And we need to think about where we have heard that phrase before. Solomon is asking for the knowledge of good and evil. He's asking for the fruit from the tree in Eden. Now bear in mind that those early Genesis passages are written from the other side are written in or from the other side of exile and that influences how this story is told and in response god makes no mention of the good and evil part he just speaks of solomon having a wise and discerning heart and besides the ability to distinguish or discern or to know right from wrong it's not the same thing as the ability or even the willingness to do it Later, the Queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon. And amongst the things she says is, how blessed this people must be to have such a wise king and that God has appointed him to maintain justice and righteousness. But she doesn't actually say that Solomon is doing this, just that the reason God has blessed him so much must have been so that he could. And there is an extent to which Solomon's reign is considered the high watermark for the people of Israel. It's when they build a temple. And when there is peace all around them, there's no domineering power in the region to take over from them. But already there are signs that all is not well. Not, you know, we can see how Solomon starts to use that wisdom and skill. In 1 Kings 5, we read of Solomon conscripting labour from all over Israel. And later in 1 Kings 9, we read that this was forced labour. Solomon made slaves out of his own people to build a temple. We're told that he used them to build Hazor, Megiddo and Gezer. And in there he accumulates 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. So many that he actually needs to build cities for these things. And he also becomes an arms dealer, exporting them to the nations around him. We're told that the weight of the gold Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. That's nearly 25 tons of gold. But note those numbers. Six, six, six. They're not the last time we're going to encounter them in the Bible. In the Revelation, they will be considered the number of the beast. This is a very Jewish way of saying that even in this high period, there is something dark, evil, sinister, something that's opposed to God going on here. And meanwhile, Solomon is getting involved with any woman with a pulse. He has 700 wives and 300 concubines. And his heart is led astray and is not devoted to the Lord his God. Moses had warned them about this long before they entered the land. He had told them, yeah, you'll get that. There'll come a time when you want a king. 
But that king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. And what happened? Did Solomon acquire many horses? Yeah. Where did he get them from? From Egypt. Did he take many wives? Yes. Was his heart led astray? Yes. Basically everything that Moses had warned him about and later Samuel would warn him about. It was happening. And his reign might be the high point, but it already contains the seeds of its own destruction as we'll see in the next reflection. Solomon's wisdom has tipped over into what Proverbs would describe as folly. And I'm reminded of the story of the anointing of Solomon's father, David, and that whilst we look on the outside, God is looking at the heart. It's a warning that the foundations on which we build should be the right ones, for it is possible to be seeking to do things which of themselves seem so right, but be doing them in a very wrong way. It's a path Jesus had to turn from in the wilderness when all his temptations would have led him not to fail, but to succeed on the wrong terms. And in Acts, we see how the good news of Jesus is spread ever further and God's kingdom is established ever wider, not through power, manipulation and coercion, but through loving acts of service and the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus. So as we seek God's kingdom, May we be wary of falling into the traps of influence and power, relying on the wisdom of this age. May we instead lean on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for the scriptures that we have shared. And thank you, Lord, how they warn us to guard our hearts as well as to watch our actions. May we be a people of pure heart and may we truly see God. Amen. God bless you.